listening to a Clovis Hills podcast, you're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. Say uh, good morning to our online community that's watching right now, and there's people from all over the world watching. Uh, our, we have friends in Bogota, uh, Japan, in Africa, and Malawi, and India, and uh, e- places even further like Carlsbad, California, and Porterville, and all over the world. So, hey, we're glad you guys are with us. We're glad you, you've joined us. And um, it, we're last week. I want to encourage you if you didn't catch last week's message. Get online, get on the Clovis Hills app, and go listen to Pastor Mitch's uh, message last week. It was a gem. It was, he just, it was nails, and you will be blessed listening to it. So I encourage you to check that out. Um, he wrapped up a series called The Genius of Generosity, right? And uh, we're going to be doing a new series, but I, I want to I touch on that series we just did. One, uh, if you would have asked me Many, uh, back in February, back in January, I think I gave a sermon on the vision for the church for the year. That's really cute, huh? We all had like a big vision for 2020 and it ended up being like, so, um, but, but God had different plans. And if you would have told me in January, oh yeah, uh, public services for the church are, are going to be shut down for most of the year, I would have told you, oh, well, that'll probably be the end of this church. Um, I had no idea Um, And really it was just me of little faith about the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of his people and uh, people who who have uh, given so generously to see ministry go out. And I thought, you know, there would be no ministry happening. But when you baptize close to 100 people when when the, the public services have been shut down, I would have never thought that happened. Or, you know, uh, because of people's generosity, we were able to minister to 5,000 people back in August when the creek fires evacuated everyone from the mountains. And uh, I was talking about that in the last service. And I, we actually got a message uh, from someone named Melissa that I thought was really cool at the end of the service. And she said this, this is my fifth Sunday And I've listened to you online um, to your nine o'clock service. Um, I want Jesus in my life. I'm a victim of the Creek Fire and I found your church during that time while staying in your parking lot during the evacuation. Two ladies came up to me and asked if I needed prayer. And I did. And we prayed and it was different after that. I was different after that. I needed that. And I needed Jesus and your church was there for me. I love the person that I am becoming and I want to take it to the next level and be baptized. Um, I feel at home at Clovis Hills, even though I'm online, I'd love to get a Bible and more easily follow. Guys, this is the church at its best. We're never closed. The people of God are never closed and God is always at work. Amen? All right. So, hey, um, I, I just want to encourage you, if you've uh, been giving faithfully, thank you. Um, and if you haven't, I would encourage you to maybe do that. God will bless you for it. And those of you that do year in giving, um, now is the time to be thinking about that. And please remember Clovis Hills in that because we just keep seeing lives get changed. We keep seeing people come to Christ. The gospel's gone farther into the world than we could have ever imagined during this time. And it, it, it's an amazing thing. 
So we're starting this new series called Behold, and it's kind of a Christmas series, and um, if you've ever seen something, a lot of times you see things, and then all of a sudden you behold something. It makes more sense to you. It becomes more obvious to you. You gaze at it, and sometimes it's a funny thing that you just never noticed, and then all of a sudden you 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 realize like, whoa, and um, you know, I have a, a friend. He's an engineer, and he designs cars. He's part of a car design team. He's worked for Porsche. He's worked for Ferrari. He's worked worked for all the big ones like that, Hyundai, um, <laughs> right? Uh, and he has, he's worked, for, you name it, from Hyundai to Ferrari. And um, he's been on these car design teams. And you think about someone who's an engineer, they're designing something, they, they see parts of cars that you don't ever see. Or someone wants to become an engineer and they, they want to design bridges or design buildings or design uh, robotics or, you know, th- these little robots to do heart surgery, on and on and on, all of these things. And they create all this great technology that we have. The other day, it dawned on me, there's a whole field of technology, and I don't know how you get into it. I don't know who thought of getting into it. If you ever think about this, that there's a whole field of technology now, especially after COVID, called bathroom technology. I want you to think about it. When you walk into a modern bathroom now, I, I went into a bathroom um, in, in a restaurant the other day, and I felt like I walked into Hogwarts. It was all these amateur uh, wizards trying to conjure things up from the sink and from the, from the soap dispenser and from the towel thing, and it looked like they were trying to use the force to get their paper towels. Like, And this poor guy, I'm washing my hands, and he puts his hand under the thing. He's trying to get the water to come out. He's like... Like, we were kind of laughing about it. So then he, he goes, ah, and he reaches over to do the soap. And now the soap's not coming out, but the water went on. So he goes back and the water turned off. He goes, ah, you know, he's doing it again. And then the soap came out. It got all over the countertop. And like, finally, like the water came on and he was worried about the soap. So he just reached across that filthy countertop and went like that, washed his hands. Thank you, bathroom technology. You've turned us all into amateur Jedis, but sometimes it's a sight to be held. But other times you see things that are just so grand, they take your breath away. And you may not have, you may have driven by them a hundred times, but all of a sudden you see it and you go, what is that? Well, this Christmas, we'll hear all the same songs. We'll wear our ugly sweaters. We'll go to the same parties. We'll open lots of similar presents. We'll eat the same foods and they're all wonderful. But sometimes, don't you wish you could just behold the Savior? See, I'm gonna read to you right now from John chapter one. And I'm actually today, normally I preach out of the NIV, but I, I want you to know, um, I'm gonna use some different translations today. I'm, I'm gonna read to you from uh, the King James version, the old King James version today, because I think there's some words in it that really stand out. And um, it, I'm gonna read about this, this it, it's gonna talk about this thing called the word. And in, in the original language of the Bible in Greek, um, it's actually the word logos. And it, it talks about every time you, you hear the word word, everyone say word, right? Every time you hear word, it, it's the logos. And probably even a better translation of logos is the life-giving source of the universe. That's how anyone in the ancient world, if they saw the word logos, they thought of the thing that started the universe, the thing that is life-giving, the thing that breathes life into all things. So I'm going to read this to you. And every time you see that, the word, right? 
That's the Logos. That's the life-giving source of the universe. And I'm going to read to you John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, and then I'm also going to read verse 14. Okay? So it says here, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, in, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then verse 14. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is God's word. Now, if you have your outline, if you have the Clovis Hills app, I encourage you to pull it up. You can look at it right now. It's three, three simple points. But, but number, number one, the thing we learn first and foremost from this passage of scripture right here is that, number one, is that Jesus is God and we are not. See, if, if you look what it says in verse one, it says, and in the beginning, right? It's hearkening back to Genesis. That's the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, right? In the beginning was the word, the life-giving source of the universe. And the word was with God. But then it also says that this thing, the word, the logos, was God. Now, um, very clearly throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, what we find is that Jesus is always claiming to be God, that God put on skin and bones and he moved into the neighborhood. He moved into planet earth. He came into our existence. The infinite became, or, or, yeah, the infinite became finite. And, and here's what happens is in Jesus saying he's God, he separates himself from every other religion on this planet. No other religion does the religious leader claim to be God. All right, um, and talk show host Larry King, um, he's interviewed every politician, every ruler, every celebrity, every dignity. I don't know how old he is, but it feels like he's been doing it for the last 400 years. I think he interviewed Shakespeare at some point. He's just super old. When I was in college, I interned on his show actually and worked with him a little bit. An interesting fellow. But he's interviewed a million people. And Larry King, um, someone asked him, they said, you've interviewed so many people, so many important people in this world, history makers. If you could interview one person in the history of humanity, who would it be that you would interview? And he said, oh, without a doubt, it would be Jesus Christ. And they said, well, Mr. King, if you were going to interview Jesus Christ, what would you ask him? What kind of questions would you ask him? And he said, oh, it's very, very simple. The very first thing I would ask him is the thing I want to know most is, were you born of a virgin, really? Well, why would you ask him that, Mr. King? And he said, well, it, it's, it's very simple for me because the answer to that will define all history for me. Everything is explained after that. Because here's, here's really, and I don't know if Larry King is a Christian or not, um, but here's what I know to be true. Jesus claimed to be God and he was either God or he's not. And, he, and a lot of times you get this thing where like, oh, you know, because um, a, a lot of religions, will, you know, they'll teach you like, 
Um, you know, when you die, you become a God. Some religions teach that. Some religions teach that every, God is in everything and, and, and that's called pantheism. Other religions teach that, you know, you can become part of God and part of the universe when you die. And um, I'm just gonna let you in on something. The universe is a cold, dark place and it could care less about you. Other, other religions, um, you know, teach that, that God is this entity that just consumes everything. But here's what the gospel teaches. This is what the Bible is teaching us. Is that Jesus is God. And if he's not God, he, you know, because a lot of times we'll say like, oh, you know, Jesus is just another great teacher, someone who is showing us a way to God, just like Buddha, just like Confucius, just like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, whatever religion you pick, okay? But, but here's what I want you to know. Anyone that says that, that kind of takes this middle ground that, you know, well, you know, he may not have been God, but he was like part of, you know, God, and he was a good teacher, he was a rabbi, he was a good person. Here's what I want you to know. Anyone that holds that view, I'm, and this may be you watching right now, and I don't want to offend you, but I really need you to understand something. That view is intellectually bankrupt. Because what it means is you never read the New Testament. You never read the words of Jesus. That he claimed to be God. He went to the cross claiming to be God. And here's the thing. Either he was who he said he was, or he was a liar. Some people will go, well, maybe he was deranged. No, he couldn't have been deranged. Have you read the words of Jesus? Those are not the words of a deranged man. You only come to two choices. He was God in human flesh or he lied and he was a bad person. He was not a good teacher. See, because if he, he was a good teacher and he lied, he sent, especially in the first and second century, hundreds of thousands of people to their graves dying for a lie. And that is not a good teacher. That is a bad person. So he was either a liar and a bad person or he was God. There's no middle ground that's intellectually bankrupt. And the beauty of the gospel is that God loves you so much, he's gonna let you decide for yourself. So number two is this. Christmas, it's all about God being with us. Like in our midst, his presence here. Let me explain to you what I mean. I'm gonna read to you, um, from a translation called Young's Literal Translation. And that's a translation of the Bible. It's a really old one, but it's probably the closest to being a literal word-for-word Greek-to-English translation of the Scripture. Now, I want you to understand something. There's a lot of common fallacies about Bible translation out there. Um, you may have even heard them. You've probably even heard them from pastors. And I want you to know something. Um, the literal translation is not always the best translation. Sometimes it is. Sometimes a paraphrase is better. Sometimes in between is better. This Thursday night at seven o'clock on my Facebook live page, if you want to learn about Bible translation and how to find a good Bible translation and how to use all of them to get to the meaning of the scripture, join me on that. I'm going to do about a 30 to 40 minute teaching on it. It'll be great. But I'm going to read to you right now from a very literal translation into English. And because he uses a word here that is really important. Okay. It says here, Look what it says. If Christmas is about God being with us, it says in John 1.14, it says, and the word, the logos, the life-giving force of the universe became flesh and did tabernacle. Everyone in the room say tabernacle right now. Type it in, tabernacle, okay? Um, and the word became flesh and did tabernacle among us and we beheld his glory. 
glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. So let me explain to you something. Um, in all the other modern translations, even the King James, which isn't a modern, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The NIV says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The ESV says the word became flesh, dwelt among us, on and on and on. And, and that word dwelt, for whatever reason, actually I know why, uh, Young translates it as tabernacled. Because when you go to look at the actual Greek word, the Greek word is skinu, and it's literally tabernacle. Now, the reason modern translators translate it as dwelt among us is because they know most people reading the New Testament are 21st century Gentiles, and we have no idea what a tabernacle is. We're like, a tabernacle? Is that where the Mormons sing? Is that, what the, you know, the place where Jim Simbola has church in, in New York? What is a tabernacle? I want to remind you what that is, because it'll, it'll really help this scripture come alive for you. See, when Israel left slavery in Egypt, they roamed nomadically. They didn't live in the land of Israel that we know today. They, they were nomadic for 40 years throughout the desert. And what the Old Testament teaches us is they would follow... The, the, what it teaches is that there, there was this cloud in the day. It was a pillar of cloud by day. It was a fire by night. And that cloud, that fire was the literal presence of God. And they would follow it wherever it went in the desert. And whenever the presence of God stopped, all of Israel would begin to gather and camp around the presence of God. And once they set up, you know, thousands of people camped around the presence of God, these guys called Levites would come. They were priestly people. And they would set up a tent. And it was a big tent where everyone would worship, where they, the priests would sacrifice for the sins of the people. They'd do all those things. And they called that tent, the tabernacle. And here's what would happen. When they would set up the tabernacle, the tent, that cloud would come and fall on the tent. And they called it the Shekinah glory. The glory of God, the presence of God would come and fall on the tent. It would dwell in the tent. So when Young um, says it, when John says it in, in um, the original Greek, it says that, that the life-giving force of the universe put on flesh and began to dwell in our midst. Now, what many of us don't realize is that as, as Christians, that much of the story of the Bible is humans, Adam and Eve, being cast away from the presence of God. And then it's been us as God's people trying to get back to God's presence. And it wasn't until Jesus, it says that the word became flesh, he tabernacled among us, he dwelt among us, and then... It says later in scripture, when Jesus was resurrected, he said, wait here in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit will come on you. And it says this about the Holy Spirit. The earliest Christians figured it out that they were a tabernacle, that they were a temple of the Holy Spirit that you carry when you are born again, you carry the very presence of God with you. But here's what I know. I know many people that think they're Christians because they grew up that way or they, they went to church or they, you know, they've given intellectual assent to it, but they've never been born again. They've never had the spirit of God dwell in them. And see, 
God loves us so much. He's given us that opportunity to have that, to step into that, to be in relationship with the living God. And I love how Eugene Peterson in the message, which is more of a, I read you the literal, I'm gonna give you kind of a, a paraphrased version of it. Look how he says this verse. He says, and the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory, the Shekinah, the kavod of God. We saw the glory with our very own eyes. The one of, one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous on the inside and out. True from start to finish. See, for some of us, we know a lot about Jesus, but we have never experienced his presence in our life. And there's certain seasons of your life as you follow Jesus where you know, maybe he kind of renews you or wakes you up and shows you something you hadn't seen about him before. And I remember this summer, a friend of mine gave me this book. It's just called Gentle and Lowly. It's just a book. And it really meant a lot to him. So I, I ended up reading it and um, it blew my mind. I saw an aspect of Jesus I had never seen before. And um, I, my, uh, another, another friend of mine had bought a thousand of them because it meant so much to him. And he was giving them out. And I said, hey, can I have a box of those? I want to give them to my friends. So I got a box of them and I'm giving them to people. And I'm thinking it's that, that it's this book. It's the things that this dude wrote that was like drawing me into the presence of God. And I would give it to people and they'd be like, yeah, it's good. Some people were like, eh, they didn't like it. A few people were like, oh yeah, it was awesome. And here's what I didn't realize is that it has nothing to do with this book. To be honest, this is just a book. But what was going on is that God was beholding himself to me. He was showing himself to me in a new way, in a way I hadn't seen. And things I had known about God, I had heard about God, I had seen about, about God kind of visually, all of a sudden I was seeing it with my heart. And it had nothing to do with the book and it had everything to do with the spirit of God revealing his presence to me in a new way that I had never experienced before. So, What are you saying, Sean? Here's what I'm saying. I beheld his glory. And I'm not the same. See, it's seeing with more than your eyes. You end up perceiving who God is. That leads me to number three. It's just a question. Do you really behold his glory? See, it says in the second part of verse 14, it says, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is beautiful. He's full of grace, not half grace, half truth. He's 100% grace, 100% truth, 100% justice, 100% mercy. He's all of those. He's not like us. Jesus is not like us. We're, we have little portions of that. And sometimes we have more grace than we have truth. And sometimes we have more truth than we have grace. And sometimes we have more justice. Jesus is 100% all of those. And, and what does it mean to really behold something? You know, I'll give you a great, a great example. You know, if you're a boss and you're hiring someone, when you hire a person, um, the first thing you do is you collect a bunch of resumes and you pick the best resumes. And if you know anything, resumes are all lies. I mean, they're not fully lies, but you know, you're putting your best foot forward. It's like a first date. You know, you don't show up in sweats and, and you know, and a stained t-shirt and hair unshoveled for the first date. If you do, it's your last date. But listen, 
It's just a resume. Where you went to school, what you think your qualifications are, it has some references on it. You go through and you look at the resume and you're like, okay, they, you know, maybe they have the ability to do this. I don't know, really know or not yet. So then what you do is there's references on it. So you go call the references and you start asking people, hey, how is this person at this? And they're, you know, and in the 20th century, everyone lies about that one too because they don't want to get in trouble. So they're like, oh, they're great. Don't worry about it. So then what you have to do is you go on social media and you face stop them, right? You go on their Facebook page or Instagram page, and then you learn a little more about who they are and what they do and what kind of person they are. And then, then you set up an interview with them. You interview them. And then we, when, you, when you interview them, you get to see even more what was on paper and what other people have said about them. And you might've even asked people that weren't references, people that were mutual friends about them. And you get to see all of those things put together in the interview. You get to see a little clearer, is this person really who they said they are? So then, here's the truth though. I've hired people in my life. You don't ever really know until you hire them. Until you have that relationship with them. Until you invite them in. And then you get to learn if what was on the paper, if what others had said about them, if what you had observed in their life is really true. And here's what I want you to know. It's the same with Jesus. When you look at his resume, it's very impressive. Family line of David, born of a virgin, hundreds of prophecies from years, hundreds of years before he was ever born about him. Lived a perfect life on the resume, never sinned. Uh, took on all of the, the temptations it means to have flesh and blood, but never sinned. Died on a cross, supposedly for our sins, and then rose on the third day. The, the resume is very impressive. So then what do you do is you go ask some people about him. You start asking people that know him, and they're like, yes, I know Jesus. He changed my life. I beheld Jesus and it, it changed everything. It broke chains in my life. It, it changed the way I saw things. It changed the way I was a father. It changed the way I was a mother. It changed the way I was a student. Whatever it is, wherever you are in life, you start talking to people that have really beheld Jesus, it changes them. So now you've got the references. You got the resume, you got the references. And you may even come to church and interview him, but you'll never know until you invite him in. You will never know. You will never behold the Son of God. You'll just see him. For some of you, you invited Jesus into your heart and then you just went on about your life. You never stopped to behold him. I just, I wanna let you know what you're missing out on. That the God who made you, the God who loves you, has a life planned for you. But he loves you so much, he'll let you live your own plan out if you want. But I promise you, his is better. And when you behold him, and it's not until you have the courage to invite him in. And here, here's the thing, the closer you draw to God, he's, the Bible calls him a consuming fire. The closer you get to that fire, it burns away sin. But the thing is, is sometimes it burns away the sins in our life that are dear to us. And we don't wanna get close to it. We don't wanna behold. For some of you today, 
like my friend Melissa at the nine o'clock service. The light bulb went on. She saw something that had been there probably her whole life. That, oh, I need Jesus. See, the Bible says this. In John 1, 12, it says, but as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That you have to receive him. And Jesus said, in Revelation 3.20, he talked about this very clearly. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. That, that, think about it. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. That the God of the universe loves you and wants to know you so much that he stands at the door of your heart and he says, I want a relationship with you. Would you lay down your way and take up the way I created you to be? Would you take up my way and, and take my yoke because my yoke is easy, my burden is light for I am humble and gentle and I will be gentle with you and I will lead you there. But here's the thing, you have to make that call. You have to decide, do I want that? And you have to make that decision. Is Jesus really who he said he was or is he a liar? And there's no in-between ground. And I'm making many of you watching right now incredibly uncomfortable because I'm not letting you stand in between because here's what I want you to know. Jesus doesn't, he'll never let you stand in between. He's either the Lord or he's not. And what will you do with that? Because Jesus, the son of God, stands before you right now loving you. He's not mad at you. He's not condemning you. He's not wanting to touch you like, ew, like a little boy touches a slug. Behold, beheld, he wants to hold you. He wants to take you right where you are with whatever sin it is you struggle with and love you right as you are. And the good news of the gospel is he'll never leave you where you are. If you follow him, he'll take you to new places in your life. But you've gotta be bold enough and brave enough to, to receive him. Let's pray.